Good morning. Thank you for reading that beautiful song this morning. And um, I want to read it once more so that um, we can bathe in it uh, this morning. So this is Luke 1. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been faithful and mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What a song. The very first Christmas song, sung by a poor, illiterate, unwed, pregnant teenager, maybe only 13, 14 years old. Did you catch the very personal but also very revolutionary chords in this song. The earth is shaking underneath this young teenager. Nothing will ever be the same for her. A revolution in her life and a revolution for mankind is on its way, growing inside her womb. This song, Mary's song, is the first of four nativity songs. They're only recorded in Luke, in chapter 1 and 2. We have here Mary's Magnificat. Then we have Zacharias Benedictus. We have the angels Gloria, and then we have Simeon in the temple when he sings. Her song, Mary's song, is the longest set of words by a woman in the New Testament and an unwed, pregnant one at that. This song is commonly known as the Magnificat, which is the first word uh, in Latin. Uh, in Latin, it's called Magnificat Anima Meo Dominum. And the first word, Magnificat, means to magnify. And we know that word from uh, the, the root magna means great. So, magna cum laude, with great praise. This song is really extraordinary. I was really excited to learn some of the history of this song. I learned that throughout history, poor and oppressed people crushed under a world of exploitation and injustice identified with this song. I learned that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian who was executed by the Nazis, called the Magnificat, quote, the most passionate 
the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary song ever sung. The Magnificat has been viewed as dangerous by people in power. And it was even outlawed in some countries. Archbishop William Temple uh, told, he warned missionaries that he sent into India not to read the Magnificat in public because he could get them into trouble. And before the fall of the Berlin Wall, does anybody remember when that was? 89? It was actually illegal to read the Magnificat from the pulpits in Eastern Europe. And yet, this song is sung on a regular basis in many churches and is a very important part of liturgies. Why? What is so special about this song? Why does it bring so much joy to some and strikes fear in others? Let's take a closer look together and discover how Mary magnified, made great her Lord and how we too can bring our souls to magnify and worship our God as those blessed. I want to ask three questions this morning of this song. Why is Mary singing it? What is she singing about? And thirdly, how can we sing? What led to this outburst of this extraordinary song from this young girl's lips? The backdrop are two women, Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, one a teenager and one a senior, both touched by God. As foretold by the prophets and longed for by the people of Israel, the unimaginable was about to happen. The long-awaited Messiah, the one who would set Israel free, was announced by an angel to a poor teenage girl in Nazareth. God, in his absolute being, would manifest himself in a human life. The Son of the Most High, who would reign forever, would enter this world through Mary's womb her womb. How did she respond? After her initial shock of this stunning announcement, and apart from wondering how this could be since she was engaged, she wasn't even married, she was still a virgin, how would this be? Her response was one of faith. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled, she said. That's remarkable. She must have known that her life was about to change forever. I'm sure she did not understand it all. It must have been puzzling to her and also frightening on some level. She must have known that this unusual pregnancy would have difficult social repercussions for her. Almost as a side note, 
The angel had mentioned to Mary that Elizabeth, her aging cousin, was also expecting. Was this a hint for Mary to go and see her? Mary took it as such and she hurried off to the hill country, some 100 kilometers away. What a special time that must have been when those two women met and shared what God had done in their lives. But they also knew that this was much, much bigger than them. The promised Savior was about to come to redeem his people, and they were the first ones to know it. Both women bore children of promise. Old Elizabeth carried baby John, who was later known as John the Baptist, chosen to announce the coming of Christ. And Mary carried Jesus, who was the Christ. When the two women met, the two covenants met, the old and the new under one roof, the old greeting the new. And the result was explosive, an outburst of joy. Baby John in Elizabeth's womb was the first to recognize the Messiah. So John, in a sense, started his ministry of announcing the Christ already in the womb with leaps of joy. And when we recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord, our souls can't help but rejoice. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, she greets Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth honored Mary as the most blessed of women, graced by God. Elizabeth did not worship Mary, but she commended her faith because Mary was a woman that took God at his word. The word blessed often means happy or fortunate, envied. But here in this, in this place, it, it's from the Greek word oilogamen, which is formed from the root you, which means good, and logos, which means speech. Together, it means well spoken of, praised, like a eulogy. We do that in eulogies, unfortunately. Often we do it only after people are dead. Well spoken of. Did you notice that Elizabeth called Mary, Mary's unborn child, my Lord? How did she know? It says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was the first one to vocally profess her faith in Jesus as her Lord. And I think that this must have been the moment for Mary when the puzzle came together, and she burst out into song. 
I find it uh, interesting that Mary did not stay alone at home, but she hurried off to see Elizabeth. There's a beautiful lesson there, I think, that really counter, counters our hyper-individualistic culture. We actually need and complement each other. Mary suddenly understood on a deeper level what was happening because she met with Elizabeth. Could it be that we know ourselves and our God best in community? I have the joy of meeting weekly with other women to, to study the Bible and to pray. And it always amazes me how scripture is enriched because I met with and I learned from my friends. There is beauty and rich depth in community. And I think our COVID-induced isolation and the increased mental health issues through it has confirmed our need for community and our need for each other. This pregnant encounter leads us to our second question. What she's singing about? Mary quotes or alludes to about 15 different Old Testament passages, mainly from the Psalms, but also the Song of Hannah, another impossible pregnancy. But there's also quotes from Genesis, Deuteronomy, Samuel, Job, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. You can imagine that some scholars doubt that Mary composed this song. As a first century Jewish girl, she would probably have been illiterate, yet she knew scripture by heart. She was saturated in God's word, and it just poured out of her. Her home must have been filled with the word. I don't give parenting advice very often, <laughs> for good reasons. But if I could make one suggestion to our young parents, and I see some of you here, fill your home with good scripture songs. The very best, in my personal opinion, are the ones written by Steve Green. Uh, David, my husband, used to sing them with our kids all the time, and they are still ringing in our ears. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, with good, with good. Overcome evil with good. Just one example. And another parenting advice, don't embarrass your children. <laughs> Were you tempted to turn the sound off, Kevin? <laughs> Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. 
In the last century in New York, another woman, and I'll let you guess who I'm talking about, blind almost from birth, had the privilege of growing up with a godly mother and grandmother who grounded her in her faith and helped her memorize long passages, even whole books from the Bible. Her severe handicap did not stop her or slow her down. She wrote 8,000 hymns during her long life. In fact, some publishers were hesitant to have so many hymns by one person in their hymnals. So she used nearly 200 different pseudonyms. <laughs> Anybody guess who that is? Francis Crosby's hymns, composed with eyes that couldn't see, but a heart on fire for God, are some of the most beloved of all times. She truly had God's word hidden in her heart. What surprises me in Mary's song is how little she sings about herself. She does not dwell on herself, but her focus is on God. Her innermost core magnifies her Lord because she knows where it all comes from. She knew she was blessed not because of who she was, but because of who God is. Mary magnified not the gift, but the giver. She's a worshiper, one who calls God her savior, deeply aware that she's a sinner in need of saving. In God's undeserved grace, he has been mindful of her. I love to learn the meaning of the word mindful. It's a very cool Greek word, if you want to learn a Greek word today. It's called epiblepo. Do you want to try to say that? Epiblepo. <laughs> Epi, we know from many words in English, means on or upon. And blepo means to look. So epiblepo means to look upon, to pay attention, to be uh, focused on somebody, to take care. God paid attention to someone others would ignore or demean or dismiss as unimportant or irrelevant. This is the heart of God. God looks at us, at each one of you. He knows you. He's attentive to your needs. What a missing attribute today in our culture. We are so distracted and we pay so little attention to people. What if, even today, when we meet someone, we would pay full attention to that person? A master of this is our dear Marlene. When you are with her, you feel that you are the most important person, no matter who you are, a child, Thank you, Marlene, for modeling epiblepo for us. Mary sings, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Not because of her, but because he, the mighty one, has done great things for her. 
She turns from me to he. He is the one that has done great things. She sees herself merely invited into this sweeping story of redemption from the promises to Abraham to the coming of the Messiah to life everlasting in God's kingdom. She's part of it and she rejoices. The majority of her, fo her song focuses on God's attributes, his mercy, his holiness, his faithfulness, his power. He has is repeated eight times in her song. But Mary bears also witness to a, a new kingdom of radical reversal where God turns everything upside down. The weak are strong, the humble are lifted up, the hungry are filled, the rich end up poor. God is not impressed with our self-made power structures and hierarchies. Remember proud King Nebuchadnezzar and his spectacular fall from power? Or God picking up a smelly shepherd boy who wasn't even invited into the selection to become the king of Israel. Oppressive regimes have always long, have for a long time tried to stamp out Christian faith, but have only succeeded in strengthening the growing underground churches. God is still in the business of lifting up those who are down, and he invites us, his followers, to join him what we do for the least of these, we do for him. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. If we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God. We are all equally lost. And it's when we realize that and admit that we are needy and poor and cannot save ourselves that this song, the coming of the Savior, becomes good news for us. But it's when we rely on ourselves, when we dethrone God and put ourselves in the center when we don't acknowledge our sinful nature in need of a savior, that this song becomes a warning. Grace and salvation have come in Jesus Christ. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. His salvation that cost him his life is offered freely to all. Who believe. So you might ask, how do we exhibit God's heart and live counter-cultural, God-magnifying, Christ-honoring in Vancouver in 2021? In my work with seniors, I get to hear great stories. One of these seniors, our good friend Laverne, decided 
in spite of battling physical pain, to use her great gift of teaching to teach newly arrived refugees at Cambrace. Her excitement as she got to know and love Alfred and Ruth, this young couple from Haiti who has suffered so much, is contagious. Laverne just seems energized when she talks about them. She told me, I really love them, and I feel privileged to be able to teach them. Laverne has gladly joined Jesus' rescue mission, and it is my suspicion, for those that know her, know what I'm talking about, that she probably won't stop there. I wonder if the multi-layered crises that we are facing right now from global warming, devastating flooding, a pandemic, supply chain issues, the refugee crisis, if they are forcing us to rethink some of our habits and lifestyles. How is the way I choose to live supporting systems of oppression and exploitation. I think we become increasingly aware of how in our global village, not taking care of others diminishes us. Magnifying God will always be subversive. When we magnify him, we reject magnifying ourselves and what our current culture tells us to magnify. I am so pleased that during this Christmas season at Granville, we will hear two different stories of men who have heard the cry of the poor and have acted. The founder of Himalayan Life, Daniel, and the founder of Ratanak, Brian, will share with us how God's rescue mission in the world continues in both Nepal and Cambodia. And we have the privilege to partner with them and pray for these vital ministries who bring life and hope to the forgotten. We honor the incarnation best by honoring God's image in all people. And thirdly, how can we sing? So what does this look like in our lives? What is God inviting us into? through this song. My husband David and I uh, find ourselves in the middle of uncertainty, as we have, or as a certain someone would say, get to move again and find a new home. We have to downsize from a family of six to two. My natural default mode would be frenzied activity coupled with anxiety and fear. Quiet times would have to wait. Worship, when the boxes are unpacked. A friend encouraged me to stop. Close my eyes and picture God in the midst of this situation. And maybe for the first time in my life, I understood what Jesus meant when he said to another Mary, 
who sat at his feet in the midst of hustle and bustle of a dinner party. You have chosen the better part. In the midst of the commotion, she sat at his feet. So I plopped down amongst the boxes <clears throat> and I worship, telling him how good and faithful he has always been and always will be. Remembering his care, his epiblepo for me throughout my life. And as I do so, my vision shifts. My eyes turn from the boxes and the uncertainty, the fear and the grief to a rock, solid and firm, unmovable, unshakable, mighty and merciful, faithful from generation to generation, just as he has promised. And arms that hold out to me and to you and invite us to come and see and taste his goodness, to step into the unknown with curiosity and openness and trust as one loved, redeemed, and secure, as one blessed beyond comprehension and therefore free to worship with abandon in the midst of pain and grief and loss and yes, even death. We can sing with Mary, we are blessed for the mighty one has done great things for us. He has left his glory. He has entered our world in poverty and suffering to give his life on the cross so we could have peace with God and life eternal with him. What about you? I know that some of us are hurting and lonely. Some are struggling with chronic pain or scary diagnosis with addictions or hurting for our children or grandchildren. Some bear deep wounds of betrayal or unfulfilled dreams. And some of us have suffered deep loss. You know, when Andy talked to us a few weeks ago, it struck me that he did not dwell much on his suffering but he talked a lot about his Savior. It does not minimize the pain, but it completely shifts our outlook and hope. And he said, and I quote, I don't want to lose sight of his goodness in the midst of it. And he magnifies the Lord. I find that sometimes we struggle to relate these rich biblical texts to our own life because our lives are messy and unpredictable. Because we have sanitized the Christmas season to white fluffy lambs and babies that don't cry, we miss an important message. Our protagonists also 
lived in precarious times. Their lives were also messy. They knew injustice and exploitation. They also experienced pain and loss. Yet in the midst of the unknown and seemingly crazy, this young woman made a choice. She would trust God. She would magnify him in songs of praise no matter what. May we also, in the midst of our messy circumstances, magnify the Lord. And may our spirit rejoice in God our Savior. The Mighty One has done great things for us. He has been mindful of our humble state and has come to rescue us. Holy is his name. Amen.